Hey everybody, welcome to episode 119 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, here with David Picciuto. Hello, Bob and Jimmy. Hello, David and Jimmy. <laughs> and we also have Jimmy DeResta. What's up? Hey, Bob and Dave. Hey, hey. <laughs> Jimmy and David. What's going right, on, guys? Jimmy's styling with that hat. Oh, yeah, I got He's... on a cool hat, Avenue B. You know, it's funny, I, you know, I was, I'm always running late on you guys, I apologize. So I was running up the street. And I bumped into a mutual friend who was very curious about Willie, told him what was going going on with Willie. And he goes, if I could ever do anything, if I could ever do anything for you. And he was wearing one of these hats. And I go, you know what you can do for me? You can get me one of those hats. And he goes, and he grabbed me by the wrist and dragged me all the way up the block to the store that sells them. And he's like involved with the landlord or something. And he just walked in, took one off the rack and handed it to me. He goes, don't pay, get out, get out, get out. But I, <laughs> what? That happened minutes before I got on the air with you guys. And I was like, I knew I was keeping you guys waiting. So he, I didn't want to be rude. He's about to give me like a $30 hat for free. He's like the land, he's a landlord at this building down the block or something like that. I don't know exactly, but he goes, don't worry. He goes, don't, 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 don't. So I have on this cool new Avenue B hat, which I'll, I'll post a picture of Friday. <laughs> Just so you know, if somebody reaches on into a store and grabs something and hands it to you and tells you to just go, that's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I felt too weird just walking out, so I gave my business card to the guy. In this store, it's a new store. I never walked in it. It's like a little hip-hop sneaker shop, and I never went in it because it's not really my thing, but I gave him my business card to the kid, and I said, if you never need a sign or anything, hit me up. I'm just down the block, and I'll pay it forward for the hat. So. And then I ran home full speed with my, my lunch bag and everything and got on the computer to see you guys. And my yes. hat still has its tag on it. <clears throat> still got yeah. tag. Yeah, it does. Looks You're going like to leave it on there, right? Bust a rhyme. Yeah, no, I'm gonna, I got to leave it on because otherwise people are going <laughs> to think I'm an old man. But I leave the tag on. It makes me look young. Have you ever seen, well, maybe. Have you ever seen um, Key and Peele, the show Key and Peele? Yeah, those guys are great. They're awesome. So they have this one skit on, I don't know, one of the old shows about the hats. Have you ever seen that one? I don't know if I've seen it. So it's like, you know, the hats with the stickers and the brims have to be, you know, flat and the whatever. And so a guy walks by and he's like, oh, nice hat. And he's got this hat with like a sticker on it and all the things. And then it keeps going back and forth between the two guys and it escalates. So that by the end of it, there's a guy walking with a little woman sitting on a desk with a sewing machine on top of his head, sewing a hat as she's walking oh. by. And it's got like stickers, <laughs> and then it's got like a glass box around the hat, and it's you got to watch it. It's really good. They stole that idea from Dave Chappelle, right? I was going to say Dave Chappelle did it where he was working. He had the sneaker factory in his house. His sneakers are so new. Remember that on Cribs? Well, there's a whole thing. There's kind of like a feud between Dave Chappelle and and that show because they kind of know that. He says, like, they basically took my format. They do a great job, but they don't give me any credit for it. And hmm. it's kind of – I have never seen the show, so I don't, I don't know where, where it's coming from. But uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Dave Chappelle, and I'm not sure if he's just kind of blowing it out of proportion or whatever. I'm, I'm sidetracking here, but he's got two new stand-ups on Netflix. One's, one's fairly good, and the other one is phenomenal. If you love stand-up comedy, you got to check out – Dave Chappelle. He's got two hmm. two new episodes up on Netflix. You know, I've never really thought about that, but their show is very similar in format to his. I, I used to love his show, hmm. and I'd kind of forgotten about it because it's been so long. Hmm. But, huh, that's interesting. Well, the Key and Peele stuff is hilarious as well. All of their skits are really good. Well, other than running up and down the street stealing hats, Jimmy, what have you been up to? <laughs> I just got back from Ohio, and I saw David while we were there. Hey, Jimmy. Thank you. Thank you for coming out to meet me. <laughs> I sold you something. The laser. Dave's old laser. So now everybody expect to see me making things in 
with a laser, so people can get more mad at me for not doing things with nice. no electric. <laughs> I seem this week all week long I've been getting picked on for not making things without electric. I don't understand. Like, why am I the, the poster child that you know does bad things with electric? I don't get it. I asked somebody in one of my postings <clears throat> for my Rockler video. I said, "Why is it why is it more pure if there's no electric as far as woodworking goes? Why why don't we walk and?" use horses and still use candles. I mean, and I've jo- brought this joke up before, but I really mean it. It's like, why is, why is there a negative connotation when it comes to electric and woodworking? Like some guy was mad. He got, he actually got mad about the fact that he was watching a Rockler video on the Rockler channel, me pushing Rockler products. And he says, I can't take this commercial anymore. <laughs> and then he said something hmm. about, it. anyway, so it kind of got my goat this week. I think people just feel like the more, uh, the more digital you get in, with the making, the less hands on it is, the less the less personal it is, and the less handcrafted it is. I think there's just a they don't see everything that goes into it. It's just a different way of doing something. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of that has to do because I've been dealing with something similar lately. But I think a lot of it has to do with like people's idea of creating something. They like the path to get to the thing that they want is very set in their minds, right? Whereas, and if they're a woodworker, then that's typically using woodworking tools in a way that they've used them in the past or they've seen them used or whatever. And the three of us all look at getting to that goal in a different way. I mean, even different from each other, but also different from them. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm not as concerned about being a woodworker. I'm more concerned about getting the final product. So I'll use whatever it takes to get to that thing. And I think when those two things kind of don't line up, people get real like, well, why isn't it what I was expecting? Like, why isn't it following the path that I would have taken to get there? And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people just don't know how to say that. And it comes out as like, I could do that too if I had a $3,000 3D printer, you know, stuff like that. Well, I did have an intellectual and I said it, so thank you for the intellectual comment. A a guy wrote to me and he says, I was a little disappointed that you were using power tools or something, but he was nice about it. He wasn't rude about it. And I said, he said, I like using non-electric power tools because I like to just work in the quiet of it all. There's no dust. Mm-hmm. There's no things floating. And it's like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I never thought of it like that because I can't hear anything anyway, so it doesn't matter. So <laughs> I said, no, I, I said, that's a, a really good comment. Like he came on with something and then he had like an explanation instead of just being rude saying, you don't make things as well as so-and-so. Hmm. I said, well, yeah. I, you know, if you like what so-and-so does, why don't you continue to watch him instead of having those expectations from everybody else? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, and I never claimed to be that person. I never claimed to be the person that is totally unplugged and, you know, the crafts person that only uses sharp tools. I, you know, I hate using sharp tools because they always go dull. I'd rather just turn on and saw. Yeah. That's me. I'm just lazy. Hmm. <laughs> but besides that, I was in Ohio for uh, Sean Saunders or NYCCNC had an open house. And he invited me to come a couple days early because they had an empty space in one of their classes. So I did an intensive fusion, two-day class, fusion cam. Not really necessarily modeling, but all about the cam aspect of fusion. And I got to meet a couple of the guys from uh, Autodesk. And uh, David, you met, we met Curtis Chan and talked yep. a little bit about the software. And I got to meet some of the guys that actually do the development. And so there's like nuances that these guys know every answer to everything, the nuances of all the different parts of the of the cam and and the software itself. I got to meet a ton of people. So the two days leading up to the open house, which was on Saturday, we uh, we got to do the class, the intensive two-day class. And then on Saturday, every, every YouTuber machinist was either there or represented in spirit some way or another. So I got to meet Adam Booth and Mr. Pete 222 and 
crummy uh, Roy Crumrine and, and John Lewis, the welders, and lot, lots of guys, lot, lot, lots of guys. And my, you'll see them in my blog. Lots of, and a lot awesome. of new friends that I never met before and never heard of, which I'll now continue to watch. So it was great. It was a great weekend. I definitely made some friendships this weekend that are going to last. So it was a lot of fun. And now I'm back and I'm just loaded my truck up and I'm going to drive upstate tomorrow night with another truck full of stuff. I have electric in my shop this week, so I'm really excited about mm. that. I got three 220 plugs for the first time in my life. Instead of only having one and unplugging this and plugging that and unplugging this and unplugging that. <laughs> so I got three 220 plugs. Yeah. What are you using that requires 220? I have a, I'm going to buy a new compressor, a big 80-gallon compressor. So that's a 220 and my table saw and then a couple of welders. I also have a 60-amp circuit, too, for one of my very – a uh, big welder that I've had for many years, which I never used because I never had the right electric for it, at least not in a convenient spot. So I'm going to be able to use that. I have a whole section that's going to be just for welding and a whole section that's just going to be for woodwork. And then Taylor's going to have like the sewing, you know, nice, nice section that's not going to be messy. Can I ask a noob question? Yeah. Why would you need a compressor that powerful? Just because it would, uh, well, a lot of times when, if you plasma cut, for instance, which I'm not sure if I will or not, but it has to keep up with the, the plasma cutter is just constantly blowing air. Okay. So you need a machine mm. to keep up with it. Otherwise, it'll stall. Um, when you have a compressor that big, you could actually use the compressor, f- you know, blowing dust and whatever else you might want to use. Uh, and it doesn't keep turning on. It turns on, but it turns on in, in, in longer intervals that mm-hmm. you could use it without it coming back on because you have all that stored up air. And if you're going to use um, any kind of air tools like sanders or stuff, you need a big capacity. Hmm. So that's why. I bought a large compressor years ago. And like I, I got it with the intention, is when I was doing scooters and I was gonna, I was painting scooters. And so I got it, you know, to have the volume to be able to paint without having to like refill the compressor. But that's the only reason I could ever find for me to have one of that capacity. And I never wanted to get rid of it, even though I don't really use it. So it's like been at a friend's house. Uh, you know, letting him use it. But it's one of those things, like, I feel like I should probably have a reason to have that or I should just sell it. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess I don't really use that many air tools. Like, I, I don't use sanders or, you know, die grinders. That would probably be a re- pretty good reason to, to have It's it good to use them for the die grinders, yeah, because you can kind of, we have a whole collection of die grinders, me and Taylor. We got like 10 of them now from the different ones we've picked up over the years. Taylor loves using the die grinders too with the air. So, with the big capacity, you don't have to, the compressor's not going off the entire time. And if you do hold the trigger on it, if you're putting out, say, a certain amount of air out of the trigger, say 80, the compressor has a capacity of 150, it can recover while you're still just holding your finger on the trigger. And, you know, eventually, I mean, you, you really should give it a break once in a while, but <clears throat> with a machine like that, you can let it, it can recover a lot faster with a big machine with a, with a lot of volume. Otherwise, mm. when you pull the trigger on a small machine, it's just going the entire time and, ne- and never giving you the full air you need. It's just, it's just having a hard time keeping up with the flow that you're trying to ask it for. That's the main reason. Cool. So what am I working on this week? I uh, Remember the coffee table that I made a couple of years ago? I do. And it's got the aluminum base. The top of it is, is wood. Well, I hit the base one too many times with the vacuum, and one of the joints broke. And instead of repairing it, I thought, hey, I'm going to make some new wooden legs for it. So I got a video coming out on just making table legs with a with a stretcher between all of them. And I show – so this 
this particular uh, table now has four different joints. I show how to do um, different joinery techniques in each leg. Pocket holes, oh. dowels, uh, festool, and hand tools, sort of. You'll see why when I, when I say sort of. But... Um, <laughs> So you'll see, like some some of the joints have pocket hole screws, and some of them you don't see the pocket hole screws at all. I just thought it would be a cool way to kind of show like the different ways you could do this, and then maybe kind of revive that old video. Maybe sell some more coffee table plans. And can we predict which one's going to break in which order? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, my 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 prediction would be the pocket hole is the is the weakest. It's perfectly fine for the table. It's not going to break. But the pocket hole would probably be the weakest. And I don't know what would be stronger between the the domino and the dowels. They would probably be about the same, I'm assuming. Seems like it, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. So, that's what I'm working on. And then I got a bandsaw tips video coming out. My buddy, I I may have talked about this last week, but I haven't edited the video yet. But my buddy Matt came over, painted painted some art on my bandsaw. And I'm going to use the... I looked at that. It looks cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to use the art footage as kind of like bumpers between the different tips. I'm stealing some some video editing techniques from Jimmy. Like I loved when Jimmy uses Spike as the little bumpers, and so I'm going to use the painting of the bandsaw as little bumpers between tips. It's good thinking. Yeah. Good stealing, whatever you good. want to call it. <laughs> good stealing. You steal video, Jimmy steals hats. All right. So for me, I've actually been traveling the last uh, six days or something, five, six days. We went up to Pennsylvania for a wedding, and uh, that's a long drive from where we are. So mm. we went to Richmond, had some friends there. That's a long drive, but we spent the night there and then went up to Pennsylvania, which is beautiful this time of year. It's like spring, but still a little cool. Like, I don't know what the temperature is like where you are, but over there, uh, man, it was like a little bit rainy, really cool, but everything was super green. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania is just gorgeous. So anyway, we went up there for the wedding, uh, spent some time with family and hung out and then drove back. And with four kids in the car, that's a very long drive. So <laughs> did lots of mad libs, which was a lot of fun. Nice. Um, but anyway, so that trip kind of you know kept me out of the shop for um, an extended period of time. And... Uh, I finished up the video for this week right before I left, and it's a knife block. So on Twitch, um, this guy Eric asked if I had ever made a knife block, and he and his fiance were wanting to get make one for their after they get married, and I had never even thought about it. So looked into it, tried to figure out a good way to do it, and made one last week, and it turned out pretty good. Like it's something I wouldn't have thought that we really had any reason to have. You know, like our, our knives are in a drawer, <laughs> just like stacked up. And so now we have this nice, I made it out of basswood, which turns out is really pretty. Like it, when it's raw and roughs on, it just looks like it's all the same color. It's like balsa where it just like has no flavor to it. It's just like, mm-hmm. you know, beige. And, uh, turned out like with some oil on it, it just, it's really, really nice. So made that knife block. And then now I'm working on stuff, for next week. Hmm. And I'm trying to get back to my two video a week thing where like I have a shorter kind of tip video at the beginning of the week and then project at the end of the week. So still kind of trying that out. It's working pretty well. It's hard to keep up with. I don't know how you guys do two two videos a week, but I, I can't do it. I, I, I want to, and then it ends up, I only do it like two weeks out of the month. It's just, hmm. it's a lot to do. Like what we do is just, it's not like making a vlog. 
where you just yeah. edit all your footage from the day. You're you're making stuff and you're putting things together, so it's hard. Yeah, I have I have the luxury of being able to put repeats up. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, hmm. <laughs> makes it look like I got a lot going on. I've so. seen this video before. It's old. <laughs> well, that's why I put old video in the title, and then I can feel like I can get away with that. Mm. And the idiot who says that is, is is playing himself because it says it already in the title. <laughs> idiot, you got played. <laughs> Play yourself. <laughs> um, so what are we going to talk about today? I think we're going to answer some questions from Twitter. All right. So David and I both asked Twitter for questions. And we so, got a bunch and we haven't really talked about them. Let's just Let's just do it. Yeah, we, we haven't gone through them. We're just gonna we're gonna wing it. So Paul Mayette sent me an email a little bit ago saying it was too long for a Twitter. And I kinda like this question because it really relates to what's going on in my life right now. In light yeah. of Jimmy's move, what would you do with an open slate in your shop? Would you what would you add or delete or change? This is not about your business, just the shop. Jimmy has a newfound luxury of a new space, can set up his workflow, etc. What would you guys do differently in your existing shop if you moved today? Can I start this off? Please. So we are in the middle of buying a new house. <gasps> and Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we just had the inspection done the other day. And so we're, we had to go back to negotiations. It's a pretty cool house. It's got two garages and one garage would be the shop. And so I will be starting from, if everything goes well and goes through, I will be starting with a clean slate. And here, this is going to drive some people nuts. But what I'm going to do <laughs> is I'm going to carpet. carpet. I knew yes. it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going to carpet the garage. The goal of this house is to be the last house we ever live in. And we're calling it our coffin house. And I want it to, I want the shop to be my dream shop. And it's a two car garage and it should be plenty of space for what I, for what I need. And I have a budget set aside for, uh, kind of like redoing the inside. So we're talking carpet. We'll probably do like the basement squares type thing and then redoing the walls, electricity and putting in uh, a ceiling right now. It's just an open, open frame. As far as, where I would, what I would do different than my shop now? Probably not a whole lot. I would just try to, I would probably map things out on the computer to see what would be a good setup. I might run a wall down the middle and I might permanently close off the garage door part so I have another um, wall. So mm. I have a lot of things going on in my head. And right now in my basement, it's kind of like U-shaped. So everything is along a wall and it goes around and it has to wrap around where the stairs and furnace is. The reason I might build a wall down the middle is so I can have more wall space to have tools up against there. And I don't know, I'm going to have fun with it. But as far as tools and stuff, I have everything that I really kind of need to do what I want now. The only thing I might add is a is a joiner and maybe down the road, a bigger planer. We'll see. Hmm. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that because about the the layout, because going from a not square or not rectangular layout to having that open space in the middle. I was wondering if you would take advantage of, you know, having the mass in the middle that was open. Yeah. I don't know what you would do with it, but yeah, it's a, you know, still in the, still in the fantasy phase right now, you know, nothing is set in stone. A lot of things can happen. The realtor is just like, you have to be real, you know, things can happen from between now and, and closing. 
Yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think I think it definitely needs a wall, but maybe not right smack dab in the middle. Maybe a little over to one side, and that wall can be like another um, a tool board or, or just something where other tools can butt up against it. You know, I'm not sure I mm. want a big open space. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely drawbacks it's from video perspective. You know, the bigger the open space without anything to break up the sound, you're going to get more echoes. I mean, there's yes. definitely good reasons to have that. I had thought about in the future, because, um, you know, everything I have is pretty much against a wall as well, <clears throat> just because the score footage is small. But I had wondered about if it would make sense to to gather uh, tools that needed outfeed of some sort into a center kind of pod that was floating mm-hmm. in the middle of the room so that they all kind of took advantage of each other, you know, uh, took advantage of the space next to the other one. I don't Mm -hmm. really know exactly how to say that, but I've never really thought too far through it. I've always just thought like, I wonder what it would be like to, to gather them and not try to push everything against a wall. Cause right now, you know, like the table saw is the only thing that's not facing a wall. Um, and like even the bandsaw is. So if I have anything that I want to cut, that's like a longer cut than maybe 24 inches, I have to pull it away from the wall to be able mm-hmm. to feed through all the way. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm wondering, I wonder how people, other people set up their shops like that. Have you thought, have you started really setting up tools in yours, Jimmy? Yeah, I have a, a pretty, I have a, a layout that sort of seemed to happen naturally, which is kind of dangerous when things happen naturally for me. But <laughs> what I have is basically I'm, uh, the flow that I have in the city actually works for me. So I'm going to kind of do that where I'm always on the one side of the table between the table and the wall. And I'm always used to having like a back table behind me to collect the things I'm working with and the table in front of me for the things I'm working on. So to put it into perspective, I have about a 12-foot table behind me that I always work on. It's always cluttered with the tools I'm using. And in the middle of that, I have a a radial arm saw. And I have a big antique radial arm saw, so I'm going to use that one instead. I'm going to give the one in the city away. And um, that table, instead of being 16 feet along the wall, is going to be a two-foot deep along the wall. It's going to probably be about 30 feet. So it's going to be three times as long. So I'll have plenty of room to clutter. And in front of me, instead of having one eight-foot by four-foot table, which is what I've been having, which is what I've had my whole life, I'm going to have four of those. So I'm going to have four four by eight-foot tables. And that's so that Taylor would have a workstation, I could have a workstation, and we could have a workstation for an ongoing project. And then in the middle, I'm still going to have plenty of room to... I want to leave a corridor down the center for like ongoing projects and for potentially staging bigger projects, maybe working on a car. Uh, I have a couple car projects I've been wanting to do, so there's more than enough room to do one or two car projects at a time. So yeah, I'm going to basically quadruple the amount of like countertop space I have. And that's all going to be along the, the one wall. I call that the west wall. So all along the west wall for about 70 feet is going to be wood shop. And then the last 25 feet is going to be metal shop all along that one wall. So that's where I had all the electric installed is all along the one wall. That keeps it the budget down for the electric too. So if the minute we have to go on the other side of the room, we got to run wires up and over some of these big overhead doors. So I said, let's just do that. And I don't have lighting at the moment. I have a couple of big giant light bulbs. And when I flip them on, it's like the sun is on in the room. So yeah. I'm going to get a couple of these like China balls that you'd see on a movie set. So I'm going to get the mm. China light balls and that's going to really turn the room into like daylight at night. And then a couple of uh, LED strips here and there. There's nothing above me. So I got to kind of create this above me when you stand in like this, the wood shop area, the ceiling's 30 feet in the air. So I have to figure out something <laughs> to kind of make like a thing above me so that I could have lights to actually hang overhead. Oh yeah. So 
wonder if you so, could take those super powerful lights that you have and bounce them off the ceiling so that they're not right in your eyes, but it would kind of fill more than anything else. Well, you know, did you ever see like at a flea market or a garage sale, there are these light bulbs, they look like, well, the typical light bulb base is called an Edison base bulb. And then sometimes you see that Edison base bulb, it's almost like 1.5 times larger. I don't even know what that base is called. They're like factory light bulbs. So I have a couple of those fixtures and they take these factory light bulbs. And it's just like, it's like a light bulb that looks like it would be used for giant. So the, the base and everything, it's exactly the same as a regular light bulb, but just supersized. And hmm. it's a 500 watt bulb, which obviously isn't so efficient, but I might try and figure out the LED equivalent of that and make a China ball light, two or three of them in the place. So hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it's 25 feet by 100 feet. And then all along the giant back wall, I'm going to make, I'm going to, I've seen them online. I'm just going to wait until I find the right opportunity to, to pick them up. The Home Depot type pallet walls that snap together. So oh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a like pallet racking, basically just big metal shelving that you could put a pallet on, just like a Home Depot, exactly what you see in Home Depot. So if I can get like an aisle from Home Depot used from some other factory, some warehousing, I'll put a pallet wall along the back, maybe three levels high, and then the search will be to find a uh, forklift, of course. Yeah, so, slippery slope. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's like, and then I'm going to need a, and then I'm going to need a. Oh my God. I have so many, and then I'm going to need. Yeah. Bob, before you answer, I have a question for you guys. Uh, so you mentioned sound before, and that's one of the things I'm worried about is the sound bouncing around and sounding echoey. And my first thought is to put like a drop ceiling in there, almost office style, you know, and, and I, can, I can have rows of, of lights and and then I, I would assume like the uh, the drop type ceiling, which we, you see in a lot of audio studios, is a, is a good way to kind of absorb some of the diffusion or diffuse and absorb some of the, the bounce. Yeah. It just cuts into your overhead, like your space, you know, just the more stuff you add. Like I've thought about that as well. Just, you know, what can you do to the ceiling that's not going to drop the ceiling to you too much, you know, mm -hmm. to make it feel cramped, but at the same time kind of grab some of the sound. Hey, well, right now it's a big triangle, so um, we would need uh, the only part where there is kind of a ceiling right now is where the uh, the the I don't know what you call it the bars for the garage door to swing up, mm. and then the rest of it is just open and you see the 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 frame of of the garage, and so beams need to be put across, and so I can almost make the ceiling at any height that I that I want. Oh, right, yeah. I wonder if you could instead of like making solid ceiling and then working down from it, you know, to to baffle it or whatever what if you could put baffling material up into that pitch or wherever you decide to put your ceiling mm -hmm. you know something there that would grab it um without actually bringing the ceiling down yeah yeah or i don't know something something to think about i know i would like in that case my instinct would be to like keep it as high as possible mm -hmm. i know Definitely. that's bad for sound I, I, but you know. i wish i had i wish i had maybe you could just like maybe the walls or if you leave it as high as you can but then put soundproofing up and as high as you can there's yeah. one day you're going to – well, you'll stop poking holes in the ceiling. That is true. And but you know, and putting an actual ceiling up there gives me a kind of like a second floor as, as storage. Of the storage, too. yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Good point. So, Jimmy, I have a question, and this is not a, this is not a dig at you. This is a legit question. Sure. So sure. you're talking about having all those four, four by eight tables, yeah. a 30-some-odd foot long table. Yeah. Yeah. Is that like, do you even care about the fact that you're probably going to end up covering all of that workspace with stuff or are you actively 
going to try not to do that or, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like a lot of surface area to end up cluttering and end up. Yeah. Filling. No, well, I have, I have a tremendous amount of wall space. So, and a few months back, maybe six months ago, I bought all this wood for a job that I didn't end up using. So that's already paid for by the client. I have tons of these planking. So maybe 40 planks, 10 inches deep. So I'm going to use that for shelving everywhere. And uh, so I'm going to have a lot of wall space and things won't get cluttered unless the good thing, I'll be able to make stations for things right now. So now I pack up stuff, I put it away. So I'll be able to make my vacuum forming station instead of having my vacuum form always get tucked under the table. And along that wall, I'll have my casting station where I make my little metal castings like my belt buckle stuff instead of having that always packed away. So that was my intention is to always have little stations. I'm going to make an ice pick uh, manufacturing station, which is something that Right now, everything gets packed into boxes and puts under the table. So that's really what I'm going to utilize my, my countertop space for is for different disciplines. And I'm going to have – I have so many buffers and grinders and – well, not so many. I've given quite a few away. But I have like three three or four key buffers and grinders that I use that I'll set up in one area. And then, you know, with some ventilation behind them because whenever you set up a buffing wheel, it just makes a big mess. And so that's really the, the main thing is that I'll have spaces for different disciplines. That's, mm. that's the idea. I like that idea of stations. That's that's pretty cool. Are those any of those going to be mobile, or are they all going to be kind of fixed? Well, w- one thing I'm going to do is because I, I am. I know I've talked about this. I'm like the boy that cried wolf, and I am still making plans to build my building, the one that's going to be on my property. So all these tables I'm making are also with the idea that if I ultimately leave this space, I'll take them with me, or I'll be able to utilize them. Mobile, they'll be mobile. So I'm going to make all these tables with steel frames, two inch square tube steel frames. It's going to be a video for with Lincoln. And the two-foot tables on the wall, they're all going to be separate tables that I can then take with me as opposed to everything being built in place, which is something I've always done. You build a table in place along the wall and then you can't move it unless you rip it apart. So I'm going to make these steel frame legs and I'll be able to – if I needed to put four of them together to make a big table for some reason, I'll be able to – move them off and put them all together. So where it comes to grinders and that type of stuff, they'll definitely be bolted to the table but – Things are really going to be more like that's the area for this and that's the area for that. But things will definitely be, you know, fluid in, in a way. Yeah. Bob, when you go to post this up online, please keep in mind the possible title of Buffin and Grindin'. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a note. How about Thanks. that? Buffin and Grindin'. <laughs> Buffin and Grindin'. <laughs> hmm... Okay. That's what the, cool. my second channel's name is Buffin and Grind. <laughs> oh no, yeah. Don't don't go search for that. <laughs> yeah. Bob. Yes. Clean slate. Clean slate. Um I, I mean I've thought about the having stations for things as well. Uh I want everything to be mobile, everything that possibly can. Even if I had like a huge space, I would still I just change my mind so often about like how I want things to work and I just would want absolutely everything to be mobile. So right now, I definitely have um, really bad storage for lumber and for like all of materials, every consumables, everything. And so I would love to have a really like dedicated and organized corner that was just like every piece of hardware that I have is in this one place. Every piece of you know, like dimensional lumber is right here. Every, all the sheet goods are right here and it's just all in one place rather than like filling the gaps in between (laughs) everything else like it is now. Um, because I would just love to be able to find exactly what I want when I want it rather than having to like, you know, pick through things and whatever. So that's a big thing. 
Um, I don't know. I, I, I think a lot about uh, stuff like ventilation and getting things that have the same need together. So in thinking about like what a future space would look like, I, I kind of think the same as Jimmy, where it'd be great to have like a woodworking section and then a metalworking section. But then I also want like a paint booth. And then I think about all the things that need exhaust out of the shop versus the things that need dust collection. So all the wood stuff needs dust collection, you know, gathered into one corner into a collector. But then like you want the paint booth to exhaust out of the shop. You want welding fumes and any other, you know, fume stuff. And so I've thought a lot about like, well, how do I build a, uh, like a central, um, exhaust box that then has connectors that go to wherever I'm working. So if it can, maybe it always connects to the paint booth or maybe it has like a portable connection that I can take over to where I'm grinding something or welding something. And, you know, some, I think about stuff like that, like how to, uh, put things that have a similar need together, but that doesn't always make sense. Right. Cause you can't weld in the paint booth, but they both need exhaust. So mm. yeah, I don't have a great answer, but that's the type of stuff that I think about when I'm, clean slating it. Like if I had an unlimited space, what would be the best way to to lay things out for work, but also make it, make them like, uh, exhaust and all that stuff in the best way. So I don't have a great answer. Hmm. Sorry. Another good thing about my shop that I'm really happy about is that it's completely unattached. It's on 10 acres and there's nobody around. Ooh, there was nobody. I mean, I could, you know, I could test fire a, a rifle or machine gun and nobody would care. Just good. You should do, I won't you do, should that. do that. <laughs> I won't do that. No, no. I mean, I could, I could grind and I can buff and grind all night. Nobody would say anything. <laughs> like anyway, do we have going. any more questions from uh, from? Twitter? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Brett Yerkes asks, Mother's Day, how did she inspire you? What have you made for her? You guys want to answer that question? Oh. I can go first. Okay. I just had my mother's whole house redone. <laughs> I had the whole entire thing scraped and painted, some roof work, maybe seven or eight windows replaced, all the lawn done, the overgrown bushes. My mother's house looked like gray gardens because between me and my brothers and my dad, we all have this standoff like who's going to take care of it. And then the insurance company came in and said, somebody better make a decision because we're going to cancel the homeowner's insurance on this house. Mm. And mm. so since I'm the only one that has money, I stepped up and paid for everything. And... My brothers are chipping in. My sister's going to chip in. But uh, I did the down payment, and I, today I got my balance bill for the finish. It was all, all in. It wasn't bad. It was like, let me think. It was uh, about $9,000, $8,000 worth of work. I thought it was very cheap considering what had to be done. Hmm. Uh, some foundation cracks fixed. You know, just general maintenance that hadn't been done in years and years and years. So that's my Mother's Day gift to my mother. And uh, my mother inspired me in the way that she always kept a sense of humor in light of I mean, growing up with four, three boys and, and a, a daughter, me and my brothers caused my mother so much havoc. I can only imagine some of the late night phone calls she got between <laughs> me and my brothers, you know, hospital visits, drunken blackout fights, all kinds of crazy stuff between all of us. And, but the one thing my mother always did was she kept a sense of humor through the tragedy and, and is always very lighthearted and fun and funny. So I really believe I got my, my sense of lightheartedness and, my ability to stay positive through, from my mother. So, hmm. 
Um, I don't have an answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't remember the last time I made something for my mom. I, uh, when I was in college, I used to work at a candle store and I made her candles for Christmas and stuff. <laughs> that's cute. But that's well, the last thing I made her a birdhouse, I guess. But I, I've met now you your have mother. a project. She's very sweet. I've met your mother and you have, you have, you have the sweetest mother. Did she inspire you in any way? Oh yeah, of course. I think this may be a strange answer, but I think the biggest thing that inspired me about my mom still does is her empathy. She, um, she was a, a pastoral counselor for years. And even before that, she worked with, uh, like girl, young girls groups. And she was always like really big in the community and I was helping people. And I was just like, She's a stay-at-home mom when we were young, so she was there taking care of us. Um, but, yeah, she's just always had, like, a really good understanding of people, and she's been able to, like, like support the people around her and what they needed. Um, and that's helped me a lot personally, but it's also shown me that how important that is uh, to do that for the people around you. So, yeah. And she's just sweet and nice. Mm. Even Beautiful though she answer. calls me Bobby. Everybody's going to know that now, and that's okay. But she calls me Bobby still. Are you sure you don't want me to cut that out of the podcast? <laughs> it's okay. Anybody that was at Making a 100 knows that she calls me Bobby because she was doing it there. So. Uh, well, yeah. um, so my mom in, inspired me in a way where she, growing up, there was always like a sewing machine in the living room or the dining room, and she was always making clothes. And that's, mm. that's what she did. We uh, We grew up in a fairly like low income household, like low enough where like we got free meals and school and, you know, government would send us blocks of cheese and stuff like that. And so mom would make a lot of clothes and it was just cool. I didn't know that it was cool. I didn't think it was cool at the time, but looking back on it, I think it's super cool that she used to just sew and, and make these clothes. You could get patterns from the local library and bring them home and, and make them. Then you return the patterns, which I don't know if that's huh. still a thing. So, uh, it was, huh. that was, that was neat to see. And a couple things that I've made for her, uh, there's two different videos. Uh, one of my very first videos is these little cactus planters. I made my mom for mother's day a few years ago. And I, being one of my early projects, I still think they look great. They're really cool. They're really simple and they still look awesome on, in her kitchen. And then, um, I think it was last year where I made the bent laminated wooden spoon way back in high school, way back in 1993 in shop class, I made her a bent laminated red oak spoon. And then 20 some years later, I regifted her that I made the same thing, but a newer, better version. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, I've got a couple of good ones here and they, they might be tough. Oh. So, one of them is from Joel Telling. Hey, Joel. Um, can you talk about work-life hobby balance? And then there were a couple other people that asked about, you know, along that same idea, like how do you adapt when your hobby becomes your job? Does it become less fun? Do you find new ho hobbies? You know, how do you, how does that stuff switch around? And we've kind of talked about that stuff in the past, I guess, in different ways. But um, I have a very specific thought on this, but do you guys have any thoughts on balance there I, I i do i don't know that my situation is like everybody else's but i don't do things that aren't fun my hobbies have become my job and so and now i don't really 
have any hobbies that are outside of out of, of what I do. And then if I do, I try to incorporate them into what I do. That way I can justify these hobbies. I can, I can make use of that time. And the way my job is, the way I've set up my lifestyle is I can do anything that I, that I want. I can pivot, I can change, I can, I can do these different things. And so I just try to, I try to show everybody on YouTube what my life is at home making, whether it's, you know, I've done some photography videos, woodworking, experimenting with aluminum, and uh, I got a sewing machine now. And uh, yeah, it's, it's all one. There's no hobby professional. There's no hobby versus professional. It's all one for me. Jimmy, you have any thoughts on balance there? Uh, I agree. I, I think I'm all in 100% on uh, making stuff. It's funny. Mr. Pete and I were talking. We, we had some pretty intimate conversations about life and work and you know philosophy. And uh, he, he said, how much time do you spend doing what you do? And I said, 100% of my time is spent doing that because it is my life, my hobby, and my outlet now. And it's... It's everything. It, it's it's everything under one roof. It's my hobby, my outlet, my work, my job, and you know. If, uh, and it, it's funny. Taylor now has the bug. Taylor has a YouTube channel, and she hasn't been able to keep up with her ideas. But now, having seen the results and people giving her positive comments and getting a fast growth, everything. She's like, oh, I want to make a sink for the outside. I want to do this. I want to do that. Everything becomes a potential video idea and an outlet and. Also, it's the, the proving grounds for product. So if you really decide you want to develop a product, either for you or for a client, you could work on it for a YouTube video. And, and the idea of making a YouTube video gives you the focus to see a beginning, middle, and end. Without the YouTube mesh on top of everything, you just go, oh, I'm going to work on this. You know what? Let me work on that for a little while. Let me work on that. And then mm. you, there's no incentive to finish anything. You know, in, in a vague, in a vague generality. But with the, in the world of... Having YouTube as a as a goal, we we tend to know we need to finish that. We tend to know we need to finish that and that and that. So it gives us a full time focus. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but it really does kind of stretch you, doesn't it? To mm -hmm. to get new things done and to like you know to just to produce for the sake of production. Yeah, yeah. gotta feed the um, monster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess my perspective is a little bit different. I mean, I totally agree with both of you, and I'm kind of on the same page as far as the work hobby end of things. Um, you know, having kids adds another pretty big piece to that pie. No doubt. Um, and so the balance of, I guess it would be family and not family time would be the way I would kind of break that up rather than like work, work hobby. Because, you know, in this case, it's for me too, it's become the same thing. Um, yeah. And so it's, I will say like being on the other side of, of going full time, it's easier in that sense because you're not juggling three things. You're juggling two things for me anyway, yeah. um, because the work and the hobby are really are the same thing. And I love what I do every day. And I look forward to Monday mornings cause I actually get to go back to work and stuff like that. So that's a lot different, uh, than having a full-time job, having a hobby, and then also trying to figure out how to be good at family and being human. Um, but I, I do think that uh, as far as the word balance, like I actually talked about this. I was in a, a I did an interview with Mike and Lauren recently, and they just put it up last week. It was a nice video. But anyway, I talked about it in that video in that I think the tendency when you're talking about this subject or any balance thing is that 
the tendency is to like, I haven't found balance. And at some point I'm going to find balance and then everything is going to be like held in the right positions and it's all going to be there. And like, this is everything just got to freeze. This is it. Everything's balanced. Hmm. That's, and I think that's what we expect and that's what we want because then we feel like we got it right. And this is the thing that we hold on to. But I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think, um, the idea of work-life balance, work-life hobby balance, work-life music, hobby, family, whatever balance, how many other things you want to add to it is really about keeping all the balls in the air at the same time. And so that means some of them are in your hands, some of them are way up in the air, some of them are kind of in the air. And by that, I mean that like sometimes my kids really need me to be dad. And that's when that's the time when I need to be dad. And sometimes they don't care about me at all because they're outside swimming and they're doing their own thing or they're at somebody's house. And, you know, sometimes we have a mortgage to pay <laughs> it's like every month. So those are times that I have to be, I like to make stuff. You know, those are... Everything has uh, kind of a micro season within a week or within a day where things really need attention. And so I think for me, at least, balance is more about being aware of what needs my attention all the time rather than trying to get everything in its correct position and just hold it there because I don't think that's realistic. I don't know if that actually is helpful to anybody asking that question, but maybe if you realize that it's more fluid than you thought maybe it'll be a little easier to swallow that, you know, you're never going to actually have it all fixed in place. That's a really good point. Maybe, maybe not. Um, any other thoughts on that? Cause I got another tough one. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> okay. This is from dad rambles and this may be tough. It may not, but he says, give each other three con- truly constructive tips that might help each other. In oh. your opinion. That things, that they, things that they could do better, all positive. Okay. Do we well, want to do this? Maybe, I, maybe not three. Maybe one. Let's do one each. That's gonna. That'll be a lot easier. Man. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I feel like I have to start off with each sentence with. Now, don't take okay. offense to this. Yeah. You so know? let's let's get that out of the way. <laughs> Nobody's gonna be offended. Everything's coming from a good place and a positive. Let's build each other up, make each other better. Thing. Okay. That's out mm. of the way. Mm-hmm. No preface anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody else go first. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, I would like to see you talk more and show more of your personality, not just in the vlogs, but in the videos. And I say that because I Thank really you. connect with you when you do talk. I feel like you're less um, intimidating because... And I, uh, that sounds like a negative thing to say, but your videos can be somewhat intimidating when you watch them and you see this, uh, this guy who appears to be a master make this thing in a matter of four minutes. You know, it's four days condensed down to four minutes without talking. And when you do talk, right. it, it breaks it down easier for me. Well, now, and I know that that's your style, and I know that style works very well. So... No, I appreciate that. In fact, today I had a little revelation. Well, this week I put up my second video with uh, the sole intentions on my Patreon page that I'm going to try and do voiceovers for everything that I don't do voiceovers for. So every time I have a voiceover, they will. O- every time I don't do one, there will always be one on my Patreon at the very least, just so my Patreons have my Patreons growing, and I want to be able to give them something that's easy for me and that is very exclusive. And so. And that way I can satisfy the fans that say, shut up, no one cares what you have to say. But then that is is available for people to see 
uh, you know, for now it'll be in the Patreon behind the Patreon wall, but maybe not forever. So the that's idea a good me, idea. So I, I, it's something that was an idea I had in the beginning. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't stick with it right away. So anytime I do a video, just a typical old Duresta video in quotes, uh, there will be an accompany me, accompanying one with a voiceover. And just the same, anytime I get a rough cut done or, or an edit done for, say, a Rockler video or a core video where I specifically talk, I put up the the non-voiceover version for my Patreons to see. Hmm. So they see it with that. So they get to see in both ways, basically. And um, yeah, every once in a while, every once in a long while, maybe now more often, I should try and keep it in mind. When I have something that's hard to edit in, an, in a silent story, I'll just jump in and say, well, what I'm doing here is this Y, you know, X, Y, Z. I couldn't really explain it with just moving pictures, so I'm going to come in and talk. I've done that a few times. I should try and do that a little bit more often, just bring myself in, especially in a video where it's constantly nothing but sanding or grinding or grinding and buffing, and it's just <laughs> the noise over and over again. Where When you don't hear that like the dynamic sound of like tammer, tapping, grinding, sharpening, sanding, buffing, then grinding, and you know what I'm saying? Like you have like the, the ebb and flow of all mm-hmm. these different sounds. That I really like, so I try not to mess with that too much. But when it's just mm. palm sanding the whole time, I'm like, I might as well talk because nobody wants to hear this whole time. Mm. There's no there's no dynamic sounds. So oh, thank you. I think that's a good criticism. Thank you for that. I, I heartily agree with that. Um, let me see. David. You, you said heartily. Heartily. Yes. Heart, heart, with my heart. I agree with yes. that. <laughs> I hardly, <laughs> hardly agree with that. <laughs> no follow up. I hardly agree. No follow up. <laughs> um, David, I kind of similar to that. I really enjoy the relaxed persona that you have in real life and on the podcast. And I know when you get in front of the camera, there's a little switch. Mm-hmm. Everything gets amped up, and I understand it. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if having that more relaxed, like natural conversational stuff would translate better in your videos. Mm. Yeah. Maybe. I Maybe not. I, com- I completely understand that. And you are actually not the first one to, to say that to me. Really? Um, yeah. You know how um, you, you, I know you've said in the past, like you try to be the same Bob in front of every single person, right? Yeah. I don't know that I can be the same, David, in front of every single person. I act, maybe, you know, I'll probably act a little different in front of my mom than in front of Kelly, all the weird, goofy things they say to Kelly. And um, the, and when Eric comes over, and like just today, we, we, we filmed all day today, there's just something about it when, when we're hanging out, it's just Tuesdays are a good day. Like we're just having hmm. fun. There's a lot of um, <laughs> um, very... Um, just having fun. We're just having fun. Uh, very off-color jokes going on. Uh, like we're trying to make each other laugh a lot uh, off camera. Mm. And uh, you know, I, I completely understand. I'm in a different mood when I'm shooting those videos than I am when I'm on the podcast or when we're at the meetups. It's that's just a. It's just a. It's the environment that I'm in. But I, I, yep. I, I get that. That's really interesting, though. I hadn't considered that the fact that you're actually interacting with Eric. Mm-hmm. when you're filming versus just being yourself, like being by yourself and filming. So that, that actually shed some, some light on that. Cause you know, I mean like I'm in the room by myself when I'm filming. So mm-hmm. I think about, uh, I'm not, I'm not reacting to anybody, but that, that's pretty interesting. 
I like you I have a... all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to, you know. I like you. That's I really all. do. I really do. I, this is maybe for both you guys, considering you guys both know how to play guitar and, and piano. I would like to see you both incorporate that more often into what you do. Even if mm. it just starts out at you at the piano playing something and then it cuts to, or if you're at the synthesizer, it's no, 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 so you're making the music that automatically becomes the background music, so people know that you didn't just find that track online. Mm-hmm. You know hmm. that that and maybe I'm I'm jealous of the fact that I can't create music, which is why I, I strive to find friends that make music with drumsticks or with guitars or violins and or people in the street. I love it when I find someone in the street making live music and I I steal it and then I use it in my blogs <laughs> and uh, I love that. I love to be able to do that to be able to show off people who can actually perform music. And so I wish it was me. And if I could play guitar, I mean, I played it a couple weeks ago. It was a total joke. I can't have absolutely no recollection of how to play Stairway to Heaven. I know where the chords are on the the neck, but I have no idea how to hold them anymore. I just completely forgot. But uh, the idea that, uh, you know, just to see you guys play more music more often. I know you both have a little Mm. bit here and there. Dave, I remember you put up a music video years ago before we became really close to friends. And I really liked it. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I I think when it comes to music, I might have a little bit of the imposter syndrome going on. I get very... Mm. Me too. Uh, yeah. It's like, I'm afraid that people will actually see how little I actually know about music. It's a weird <laughs> thing. Um, Preach it, you know, man. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think a lot of musicians do that. They're like... Uh, it's just the it, you you spend somebody like me who's not a master at the guitar or uh, drums or or keyboard or anything like you kind of spend your entire music career covering up the fact that you're not a master at it and then like mm. you highlight the things that you're you're good at and you kind of stick to that and adding music to the videos is adds a whole layer of complexity to the video that um, I wish I had more time for. Yeah. Um, but um, like when I hear someone like the Black Keys, and I think I'm not a huge fan of the Black Keys, but when you hear them for the first time, you're like, "Wait, this is just two guys with a rhythm mm-hmm. and a cool microphone and a cool drum beat." They just—I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong. That music does not sound complex, but it sounds amazing and it's like attractive to listen to. Music doesn't so, have to be complex; it just has no, that's to be. That's good. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, and that's why, like, my friend Natalie, who's uh, she's a classically trained violinist and a fiddle player and a music writer in Nashville, and her and her husband are both successful, really behind the scenes and a little bit in front of the camera, in front of the scenes. Hmm. Uh, they both write music and license music, and and my friend Natalie, who I've talked about before, more recently, I said, just turn your iPhone on. Cause she's like, well, what do you want? Like, I don't, she's like, I don't know. I have to, I'm like, just do anything. She's like, I don't really know what you want. I go, Natalie, every time I'm with you and you tune up a violin, you play like 17 things that I would think sound like perfect music. <laughs> I said, just film tuning up the fiddle, the fiddle. And she sent me like 10 clips. So I'm going to push her again to send me 10 more. But it, it, she played that little thing at the end of the Canon video that I played, uh, that I just posted this week where just before it goes to the credits at the very end, she played that little clip. And I noticed a couple of people like, who wrote that song? And that's just her playing. So she doesn't think that that's a big deal. And yeah. you guys, whatever you guys are good at, you're probably like, well, that's no big deal. But, <laughs> it's, you know, but- when someone like me who can't do anything, no matter if you just tune up a guitar and you could do like the harmonics, I'm like, oh my God, how did you just do that? They're like, oh, I'm just tuning. I'm not actually doing anything. <laughs> 
Fun fact, my old band, The Satisfaction, opened up for the Black Keys maybe 2005-ish, somewhere somewhere around there before they were big. Another band that played that night was a band called The Greenhorns, which is not a band anymore, uh, at least I don't think. But uh, members of them went to be in Jack White's band, The Raconteurs. And mm. and then at that night, Meg White of the White Stripes was at that show because she was dating one of the members of the Greenhorns. I remember sitting uh, on the curb outside the bar at 2 a.m. right next to Meg White smoking a cigarette back in my my smoking days. That was a it was a fun crazy night. Hmm. That was going to be my next suggestion. You guys should both smoke more in your videos. <laughs> <laughs> took took me a long time. Noted. To quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every yeah, once in a while, thing. I hold a sharpie in my mouth, and everyone's like, "Are you smoking?" I'm like, "Of course, I'm not smoking." <laughs> the music thing is is tough. Like it's it was such a big part of my life for a really long time. And it just, I don't know, became less important as I was doing other things. And then once I started having a family and it's something that I, I still care about and would love to do on a regular basis, but it just, I don't know, the timing like doesn't make sense. Like it takes, you have to be playing music if you want to play music, right? Like you can't just, well, at least I can't just jump into it after a couple of years of not really playing and expect it to be worth anything at all. And so if I wanted to play music for a video, I would have to start like playing and get comfortable again and try to remember how to, you know, how it feels and like how to use the instruments and all that stuff. It, not Bob, that I don't want to do that, but you're opening your opening song that that kind of electronic. Yeah. Do you think you could play that unplugged on a guitar? Probably. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> going to be the softest side of Bob Claggett when it uh, opens up. It's just like. Slow down tempo, plucking the guitar, and then like all the and the things are getting cut slower. Huh. Let me tell you a story. I'm playing that yeah. <laughs> on a special episode of making. <laughs> uh, who's next, Mike? So I, I suggested both you guys maybe use music, and then I, another suggestion maybe for all three of us. I know I'm kind of copping up by not singling anybody out, but mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I, I was kind of for, more for you, Bob, to see more more outtakes. And more, you know, like if we, everybody loves an outtake reel, right? I never really did one. I kind of did them a little bit when me and Dave were doing the uh, the tips videos. But every once in a while, it would be fun for, like I said, it's a suggestion for all of us is to show an outtake or two or maybe a bunch of outtakes in like one particular video. Or maybe a Patreon video where we just put together a bunch of stuff that happened on camera. And I I put them at the end of uh, a lot of my videos. Like maybe... Maybe one once a month or something. There's like a little clip all the way at the very end. You know, that's like okay. a bug flew in my mouth a couple of weeks ago, and <laughs> <laughs> I said grape instead of great. And you know, oh. so. did you ever see that thing of the news reporter somewhere down south? A, a fly flies into the guy's mouth. <laughs> no, <laughs> you got to look it. Up. That's all I'm gonna say. Me and Ta- when me and Talon and I are having like a sad day. Like, you know, we recently had, we, we put that clip on and it makes us laugh. So we watched it every once in a while. Like I'll hear from the bedroom, her watching that clip. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> News reporter nice. swallows fly in the South. That's all yeah. you need to know. All right. So my critique for Bob, I, there's a theme to all these critiques so far and their personality base. It's because I think it's because we know mm. each other off camera and we, we have the, these, these talks, but I, and you might not even be able to do this because it involves other people, but I like seeing because I know you as a 
dedicated family man. I would like to see more of your family in the videos, the kids, uh, maybe Jenny. And I don't know. It's just I would like because you are so you're, you're such a family man, and I just want to see more <laughs> of it. Yeah, that's actually come up a lot, and it is something that <clears throat> I would like to do. The biggest problem that I've had with that, well, I've had a couple of things. One, I've never been really sure how I feel about the line about showing, like, your kids on, like, I, I show them. It's not like I'm trying to keep them away from cameras or anything, but I don't know. There's, like, a certain uncomfortableness of, like, putting my kids in a really familiar space in on YouTube, you know, and, mm -hmm. like, in front of people, and, like, I don't want really to use them as props, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. But even the bigger thing is that I work while they're at school. And then when they're home, I try not to work so that I'm actually with them. And, um, you know, so that cuts out a good portion of the filming time that where I would be doing something with them. And then I've tried a couple of times to get one of them down to make a project with just the two of us, because that's way easier than all four of them. And that's really hard because then there's like three people going like, well, why can't I do that? <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that would be good. I just, it's, it's something I've never really like logistically never really been able to figure out. Hmm. So, yeah. Um, we'll see. Am I need something for Jimmy? Is that the yeah. last one? Yeah. Oh man. Hmm. Okay. Um, you edit you edit a lot more than you used to, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But I still think that there in your projects, in your non-talking type projects, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. there's a lot. Of <laughs> I can't just for anybody listening. I can't see him right now because he's got his video turned off. <laughs> so I just see this big JD and then go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway, okay, um, back up. I turn my camera. Okay, on. no, oh, it's okay. Oh, you can oh. turn it off. Okay, that's right. I know what you look like. Um, see my new hat. There's <laughs> yes, I can see in your hat. There's gaps in between the action in some of your videos where you're moving the camera or you're like you set it up, you hit record, and then you move to do something and then move back, or like you move uh -huh. a piece. And I think those chop up the flow of your video. Really? And you edit so much that and, and like it's maybe it's not so much anymore. I can't really remember the last time I saw that, so maybe this isn't valid anymore. But well, you know what it is? That was always a thing. I'll always move the camera three or four times, and that little squiggle in between the camera resting again, I, that's always intended to be chopped out so that it becomes just another camera angle. You know, when you do something three times, everyone's like, how many cameras do you have set up? And I go, I always only have one camera. I just move it around because it doesn't matter if I'm, what I'm doing. I, you know, I can always just grab it from a different angle and just fake that same maneuver again, even if it's just pretending to chop. And... I started leaving that little squiggle in just sort of have as like a signature piece. And, uh, but there are times when I, it just, I know exactly what you're saying. It's just like, it's like a little distracting. So I'll take it out. Well, I'm not even thinking of the squiggle. Cause I think that's actually a good like transition of I'm going, I'm changing from what I'm doing to something else now. Mm -hmm. That's not what I mean. It's like when, and I see this more on other people's videos than I do on yours, but I had to come up with something to say constructive to you. So <laughs> <laughs> this is what you get. <laughs> I see it a lot on other people's videos who don't have um, a big focus on editing where they set the camera up and hit record 
and they may go right to action and they're doing something, but at some point they have to stop doing and they have to go over and like put a new drill bit in their drill and then they come back and do work, but they don't cut any of that segment out. So you have action, action, and then like pause, camera still running. Oh, action again. And like mm-hmm. in my mind, that's two cuts, right? Cut uh, beginning and the end of a section, delete it, mm-hmm. you're done. But it keeps the action moving along. And so that's what I'm talking about more than like the mm-hmm. moving the camera from place to place, from shot to shot. Because I think that's actually kind of a good, well, it's, it's, like, it's kind of like in-camera editing. You know what I do? What I love? What my, my vlogs, and I stole totally from uh, Philly, Philly DeFranco, is I just chop out every little bump in between the audio wave, and uh, I started. I used to watch. I mean, I still watch Phil DeFranco, and and I'm he's got such a quick pace, and I'm like, how does he talk so fast? And then one day, I I cut out all my ums and ahs, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh wait, I'm talking in the same rhythm as Frank DeFranco, Phil DeFranco, mm-hmm. and I just go into the audio wave when I do my vlogs and just chop out anywhere there's a flat line. Yep. Or like, and I know exactly. What, I don't even have to listen to it. I could hear what I'm going. Um, I know what that sound wave looks like when mm-hmm. I go. <gasps> I know what that sound wave looks like. I go. Uh, I know what that sound wave looks like. <laughs> I just go in, even though they might be a peak sound wave. I know what the shape is. I just cut them all out, and then yeah. you hear me go. And I'm able to make it go much faster. And I have a tendency to repeat myself, so I have to like cut out whole phrases, and then I'd- piece together the Frankenstein together a sentence that sounds normal. I think pacing, if we're going to critique the entire internet, I think pacing is the biggest problem that lots of people have with videos. It's that keeping that flow going. I will finish my video and then I will be like, okay, nobody distract me for the next 10 minutes while I watch my video because I want to watch it from beginning to end and I want to see the pacing. If there's ever a point where I I feel like I'm bored, I need to edit something. I need to remove something. Mm -hmm. Or I need to just, I I do the, you know, I do the trick where I do, um, I'll zoom in uh, post, you know, same camera setup, but I'll zoom in post just to kind of like help it push along. Music helps things move along. And pacing is is a, it's a learned skill. Biggest compliment I get is when someone says, I can't believe I just watched a 20 minute video. It felt like five minutes. Yeah. Mm. And now I'm going to give a disclaimer because we're talking about pacing and I'm going to put out the slowest video I ever put out in my life because I interview five machinists. So (laughs) you can understand what it's like to talk to a machinist. Now these, uh, I interviewed like five or six guys in my next vlog, which I should post tonight, which is a couple of days late. Uh, they're all guys I, I really enjoyed hanging out with and talking. So I try to capture as much of that as I could on our conversation and I cut out as much as I could without making it seem too choppy, but it's the overall vlog is going to be nearly 20 minutes long, but it's just interviews with people that I know love and respect these guys, the few guys that I interviewed. So I just want to leave in as much as possible. You know, it's like listening to an interview with your favorite whomever. Mm-hmm. And you, you want as much as you can. So I know each one of these guys I talked to are very loved and respected by their audiences. So, I didn't want to cut it up too much. And there were times where I speed up conversations and people complain. I want to hear what that person has to say. Why did you speed that up? And I'm just trying to make it funny because to me it's lagging a little bit. So I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to put a video out that's going to get probably 30 views. But it's out of respect to the guys I interviewed that they're going to be Mm -hmm. somewhat long. So I have kind of a maybe an inside baseball question here about the the lo- your longer vlog videos. Do they pr- how do they perform relative to like your projects and your? Um, you know, it's funny. Everyone's been complaining about the the algorithm this and the algorithm that, and I didn't notice anything. And then last night, I shouldn't have, but I looked at my analytics, and everything's down twenty percent. Everything, comments, views, everything is down about twenty percent. 
And now I guess that's, I don't know if my, my video suddenly just got boring or I'm kind of old hat, at least for the moment until something new comes along. Um, but everything is down. You got a new hat and it's on your head. They, uh, well, I hope Sorry. that this new hat helps my analytics because after looking last night, I'm, I'm not going to look for another couple months. It's like when you get on the scale and you realize you got fat, you're like, well, if I don't get on the scale, then I won't gain any more weight. So that, that's, that's what I noticed last night is that, I mean, my last payout was, was above average. So this next payout will be below average because I'm mm. looking at my analytics now. People kept asking me, I said, I don't know, it hasn't bothered me because, you know, a lot of guys are going on YouTube and saying, you yeah, know, I might have to go and, uh, you know, go back to a regular job. I don't know if this is going to work out. You know, they get real dramatic. And I, I kept seeing everything be the same for me. And I kept saying, maybe the wave hasn't caught up to me yet. You know, as far as, I guess the, the big thing is, is people are claiming that YouTube is not suggesting your videos and other people's things as much anymore. I don't know where, who's getting suggested then. I have no idea. But, Maybe it's just the ebb and flow of YouTube in general, but my my people have come to really like my my vlog videos. I get really 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 good insight. People say, "Wow, you know, when you said this or when you did that, you know, you never would have talked about that subject before." And it's really refreshing to hear you talk about this or that or anything. And you know, I try to always give information in the way that like you should go look at this person's videos because you'll learn things that I can't teach. And that's really the main thing I want to do. It's you should go look at this guy because whether he's a YouTuber or he could provide a service because maybe you don't know about him. I mean, that's the biggest thing about this whole world is that you learn things from other people because they know about it before you do. And uh, so it, it forces me to dig and find a story where there is none, usually. Like this week, I'm already into this week. I haven't shot anything. It's already going to be, it's already Wednesday tomorrow. I haven't shot anything for my vlog. So I'm going to do a little bit of a detailed walk around of my new shop while it's still fairly empty and, you know, fairly unorganized. So that's going to be next week's vlog. So it forces me to, to really try and find a story each week or at least a series of conversations with people that are inspiring. And people really like them and they, they always get 100,000 views no matter what. Sometimes they get 400,000 views. And I don't know if that has to do with the picture I put on the front. I assume it does, but people still have to hang out there once they're watching it. So, um, I don't. It's it's such a mystery. I don't really know. I try and hmm. put interesting titles and interesting videos and interesting animal shots as much as I can. And it'll always be a game. It's a constant. It, it's a constant game. It's it's a constant problem solving situation. So yeah, they perform. And now I've I've become used to making them, and. People become used to watching them. So if I stop them, it would only be like like what Casey Neistat's doing now is like he takes a few days off here and a few days off there. And they might, like I said, you guys know I had kind of a, a, a busy somewhat, uh, had a little family stuff to deal with this week. And so that kind of put me out of the game as far as getting my vlog out on time. And uh, But there's, you know, there's always going to be a week or two where I might miss it totally. As of now, I'm still 34 weeks and this is the latest I've been because of the situation that... I went through with Taylor, but everything's good. It's not even a big deal. I shouldn't have brought it up, but we're good. Everything's cool. And um, so that's why I was late this week. But mm. I, I really enjoy doing them. It forces me forces me to keep keep creative. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I mean, from at least my perspective, it seems like it's been a good stretching thing for you to do. Totally. It definitely got me out of my comfort zone. And a lot of people are complimenting my, my on-camera presence as being a lot more relaxed than ever before. And it's cool. I mean, the... the you, what you want, what we all want all the time is just 
hang out with anybody as if we're hanging out with our best friends. And, you know, I, I really do feel that a lot of the time. Sometimes if I seem pressured on camera, it's because I'm like, oh, I got to get this done. I got to get it done. And then that comes through and I'm watching the edit. I'm like, stop stressing out. Hmm. You know, I got to remember that for the following week. Cool. Well, we're running really long. So let's come back to other questions next time. But I think that All was right. really good. Yes. And um, there was there was a ton of good questions on Twitter today. So maybe I should do a, a screen capture or something and we can talk about them next time. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. Yep. Thanks yeah. for sending in questions, everybody. Thank you. Um, all right. What are we in watching? What new stuff we got? David, go. All right. So DSL our video shooter it's just this guy he's got a photography video uh site uh, 166,000 subscribers his name is caleb he has a great on-camera personality he has great short tip videos like full of informational stuff if you're into videography uh photography check out dslr video shooter and i know he's a he's a fan of of my my channel so check him out nice what you got jimmy um, I got a chance to hang out with uh, Brian Alt Orgaj. How do you say his last name? I wish I knew how to say his name. There's a lot of G's in that name. Yeah, Brian. Well, Brian from Michigan, great dude. He, uh, I've talked about him before, but we got to hang out this weekend. Not as much as I wanted to. I was hoping to get an interview with him for the vlog, but he left before I realized he left. But check out Brian's channel. He he just took a little time off. He's back now. He's a designer and a fabricator and an architect. So check him out. And then also Adam Booth. I want to give Adam Booth. A-bomb, I want to give him a shout out. Adam Booth does heavy, heavy machining. And when you think you're having a hard time with a little piece of machining, look at what Adam does. And he does it every day. He, he machines a lot of hydraulic stuff that weigh thousands of pounds. He'll throw a chunk of steel on the lathe that weighs 10,000 pounds and spin it and does things. So it's incredible to watch what he does. Kind of reminds me oh. more of the industrial age that I'm so inspired by. So hmm. Adam Booth and Brian, check those guys out. Awesome. Uh, while I was on my trip, my friend showed me a channel I don't know why I've never heard of. Hampton Rutland. You guys ever heard of this guy? No. Hmm. I think um, I remember the name. Really, I, I don't know why I've never come across him, but he's a guy out of Louisiana, I think. And I've only watched a couple videos so far, but they're really well made. And he does a lot of uh, stop motion stuff. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, well, Frank Howarth does a lot of stop motion. But it's very different. It's like... uh. I don't know. You just have to watch it. Like he, he did a stop motion of putting up uh, reclaimed wood on the wall inside walls of his barn. And so the stop motion is him doing that, but there's also like toys running around on the floor and the drills are coming out and doing dances around and making patterns while he's doing work. So it's like, he's doing a lot of stuff at one time. Um, awesome. they're really well made and he, he's not a, not a huge channel should be cause they're good, but yeah, go check out Hampton Rutland. Um, I guess that's it for this week. I uh, want to thank our supporters on Patreon, as always. We really appreciate everybody, uh, especially Make, Build, Modify, and Wise Old Dowl, which I still love that name. That's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. So thanks for everybody's support over on Patreon. It's really awesome, uh, and we're very grateful for all of that. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. And if you want to support us there, you can. That would be fantastic as well. One of the, one of the tiers of reward there is a T-shirt. So, you know, I mean, you can buy T-shirts at our website, but you could also go support us on Patreon at a certain level and actually get a T-shirt from it. Hmm. So, yeah, hmm. no, you have options. But You guys got anything else? Um, Happy Mother's Day. 
Happy Mother's Day. Day. I'm going to be at Filson Store. Any of my New York homies, I'm going to be at the Filson Store here in New York next next uh, Thursday, the 18th. I'm going to be building a mallet in store at the Filson Shop. It's on my Instagram. Look for the details. Nice. And I have something to promote. I'm going to be at Kencraft Hardwoods on Saturday, June 3rd. And we're going to do, there's going to be tool giveaways and door prizes and demonstrations and meet and greets and all kinds of stuff. So if you're in the Toledo area, Saturday, June 3rd, come say hello. Nice. Well, I'm going to be at Maker Fair, not this week, but next week. Uh, Bay Area Maker Fair. I've got two talks, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. The one on uh, Saturday, I think, is Mark Rober and I, and they just added Laura Kampf to it. So the three of us oh, are going to cool. talk about um, content creation. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Maker Fair is going to be awesome. I just know. supported Laura today on, on uh, Patreon. Sweet. I wanna, I awesome. Wanna, she's giving away like a uh, patch and stuff. I wanted it. <laughs> She'll probably send you one if you ask. <laughs> but yeah, she's awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again for the questions, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next week. You know what I love? What? I love my new hat.